Well, good morning from me. It's so good, isn't it, to be able to gather to worship still, even though we couldn't be together uh, physically. Let me encourage you for next weekend to try and join us out at Moorlands. The sign-up for that will go live tomorrow morning, uh, a minute past midnight, if you're really keen and want to be first to sign up. So please do uh, join us next weekend. We'd love to welcome you out at Moorlands. And the same as this weekend, if the weather's looking a bit dodgy or perhaps the ground conditions don't appear to be safe, then we'll let you know. If you've signed up by about nine o'clock, whether or not that service will be going ahead. And if it isn't, we'll be gathered here online. We praise God, don't we, as Carrie did, for those people who have made it possible for us to continue to gather to worship live week by week. Well, I'm very excited this morning to say that we're starting a new teaching series, which is going to take us through to Sunday, the 25th of July, which we anticipate will be the new date when we might next be able to gather indoors in any number. Of course, we'll continue to follow government guidance on that. And if it's safe to meet, then we will. If it isn't, we simply won't. We'll continue as we are. Well, over the six, next six weeks, we're going to be exploring some of the one another, the one another statements of Jesus. We're going to be thinking about loving one another this morning about greeting one another, encouraging one another, honouring one another, serving one another and showing hospitality to one another. Now, I don't know if this has been your experience for the past 16 or so months, but I found it incredibly difficult to fulfil some of these one another statements of Christ. It's been challenging because of the COVID restrictions that we've been subjected to. How do you show hospitality to one another when you're already a household of seven and you're not allowed to gather with any other households or mix in other groups? How does one greet another person with a holy kiss, whatever that means, and we'll think about that next weekend, when you're not allowed within two meters of another person or when, rightly so, you've made the decision that you need to shield from others? What does loving another person look like when your world has been uh, tipped upside down and it's tough enough managing your own life, let alone being concerned about the life of another person? Well, I'm sure you'll agree this is a very timely teaching series. And our great hope is that over the next six weeks, as we wrestle with these themes together, that we'll be even more prepared for our returning to normal life as a church family, whatever that is, once the restrictions have been removed. Our hope is that as we come out of lockdown, we'll have an even clearer understanding of what it looks like to live with Jesus' principles and kingdom priorities. Of course, even without COVID, uh, and despite the challenges of our recent past, these themes mattered to Jesus. And as followers of Christ, I know that these things matter to us and are important to us too. Well, during the course of the last year, I found myself repeatedly going back to the story of the early church as it's recorded in the book of Acts. I found myself constantly looking at the principles of how they gathered themselves and how they experienced their own pioneering upside down world of being church together under challenging circumstances. They were different circumstances to the ones we face, but they were challenging nonetheless. Their great desire was that the good news of Jesus would be known and that they would gather together as a church community. And they worked hard to make sure that happened. Well, what I've discovered as I continue to look at these stories afresh is that certain characteristics defined God's people. 
And it was these characteristics that caused them to be deeply involved in the lives of other people, in the lives of the believers, but too to be involved in the lives of the communities within which they were planted. In a sense, we can say they were doing life together. They were doing life together. And in a sense, that's the summary call. If we grab all of these hundred or so one another statements that Jesus spoke, that's the summary call, that we'll do life together and that we'll do life together well in the presence of Jesus. If there's one thing that we've discovered during the course of the last 16 months, whether we're introverted or extroverted or somewhere in between, is that we were not designed to do life in isolation from others. Wasn't it brilliant that Carrie reflected that to us a few moments ago? We need one another to flourish. Without others, we can say we are incomplete. Well, in our scripture reading this morning, Jesus shares his first, and I would argue his most important one another statement. He describes this one another statement as a new commandment, a new commandment. And I want to warn you this morning that in saying what he says this morning, Jesus is setting the bar exceptionally high. He says, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is how people will know that you're my disciples, by loving one another as I have loved. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to um, John chapter 13. We're going to read this morning from verses 31 through to 36. John chapter 13, verses 31 to 36. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of God is glorified and God is glorified in him. Could you put my face back on the screen, Sylvia? That would be great. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We'll stop there. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, the context of Jesus speaking these words to his disciples is really interesting. I wonder if you've ever been to a place or walked into a room and just sensed that that room is full of tension. You can just feel it, can't you, as you walk in. Sometimes it's as if you can literally cut the tension with a knife. And that's the picture that we have here as Jesus is speaking out this new commandment to his disciples to love one another. Picture for a moment in your mind's eye, Jesus with his disciples, they're gathered together and their faces are serious and they're somber. Just a few verses earlier in verse 21 of John chapter 13, John tells us that in this moment, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and you can sense it was showing on his face. Why? Because he just predicted Judas's betrayal. And in response, Judas had left. Now, I imagine this, that Judas had been challenged by Jesus. He knew it was him that Jesus was speaking about. So he stormed out of the room, and and the door was slammed behind him. He walked from the light of Christ literally into the darkness of night. What an awkward moment for those disciples as they gathered. 
But then, just to make things even more tense, at the beginning of our text today, Jesus then goes on to predict Peter's denial. Judas would betray Jesus, but Peter, we're told, would then deny him not once, not twice, but three times over. Now, Jesus has good reason, doesn't he, to be troubled in his spirit and to look perhaps sad and visibly upset. Do you know, as I read this story, I I can't decide which is more shocking. Is it the fact that a person could walk with Jesus for three years in the person of Judas and then betray him to his enemies? Or is it that the leader of the disciples, Peter, this guy who was so sold out for Christ, could deny his Lord three times on the toughest night of Jesus' earthly ministry? Well, of course, the, the failure of Judas and the sin of Peter are both serious issues. But there is a significant difference between the two. Judas would betray Jesus and never, ever return. Peter would deny Jesus, repent, and then come back into a relationship with Jesus. Judas, it would seem, betrayed Jesus, acting out of a heart of pure darkness. But Peter would deny Jesus in a moment, just a moment of weakness. Peter stumbled, we could say, and Judas fell flat on his face. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to Peter in this moment. Maybe you can. And if you can relate to Peter, even just an ounce this morning, let me remind you that God's grace is sufficient for you, just as it was for Peter. Even today, I want to remind you of God's grace. Think of the story for a moment of the prodigal son. That story reminds us that our heavenly father loves to see our faces. If only we would repent, if only we would turn around and come home. And as we come home, the father runs towards us with tears streaming down his face to embrace us. If you can identify with Peter today, know that God's grace is sufficient for you. Well, let's come back for a moment to the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Can you feel the tension now in this story? John chapter 13 is without doubt one of the most tense chapters in the whole of scriptures. I wonder what you would have done if you were Jesus in this moment. Do you know, I'm not so sure I'd have been quite so gracious to the disciples. I think I would have wanted to tip something over or maybe throw something around the room. I might even have been tempted in this moment to call fire down from heaven and burn the whole lot up to get rid of them. But that's not what Jesus does into this tense cocktail of betrayal, denial, and confusion, Jesus says, love one another. In fact, he says more than that. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Do you know the antidote to the problem of betrayal and denial is love. Christ-like love. It's never revenge, which is often our first thought, isn't it, when these kind of things happen to us. And I just wonder if you need to be reminded of that this morning. The antidote to relational difficulty is love. It's never revenge. Maybe you need to know that in a situation that you're facing today. Revenge is the raging fire that consumes the arsonist. But where there is love, there is life. And love, we can say, is an endless act of forgiveness. A summary of all that I'm going to say this morning is this. We are loved by Jesus to love like Jesus to reveal Jesus. We're loved by Jesus to love like Jesus to reveal Jesus. 
That's the call of God. In fact, it's the command of Jesus in our text today. Love as I have loved you, and then others will be able to see that love. Well, Jesus starts off by talking about himself in verses 31 through to 33. He speaks about the forthcoming, the next day or the next few days, his glorification and to his suffering. Back in John chapter 12, the chapter before the one we're looking at today, Jesus refers to this moment as the hour of his glory. Why? Because he knew that the cross was looming. He knew that it was Thursday, but Friday was coming. He knew that he was about to accomplish the will of his father. It was the hour of glory because there on the cross, which Jesus knew was coming tomorrow, it was in that place that the love and the justice of God would be most fully displayed. It was the hour of glory because it was through the cross that Christ would go on to win victory over sin and death. In fact, victory over Satan himself. So first off in our text, Jesus gets our minds focused on the cross and on himself and on his glory and his suffering. But then as you move on through the story, as you get to verse 34, Jesus shifts the focus from himself to ourselves, from him to us. We're loved by Jesus, yes, to love like Jesus. Starting in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you will love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus goes from pointing at the gospel, which tangibly expresses the love of God to a broken world, to giving a direct command. And that's because this command to love is a direct implication of the gospel. Love is the gospel and the gospel commands love, we could say. It's significant, isn't it, that Jesus points to the cross first because he's driving home the point that this command to love others flows from his love displayed on the cross. Unless we've experienced that first, then it's impossible for us to demonstrate that love to others. But then in this moment, Jesus reminds us that his love for all people is not contingent upon them following his commands. Another reason why he looks back to the good news, to the cross Do this and then I will love you is often the way we approach people in life. But Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus loves us even when we don't love. No caveats, no conditions. Love redefines relationships, not rules. And I love this about the story. Jesus looks to the cross. He says, look at the cross because this demonstrates my love. And then he doesn't bolt on any rules into the mix. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us even when we were at our worst. Do you remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 8? Christ died for the ungodly and shows his love for us in this, in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's gospel. That's love. This is sheer grace, the love of God here. It can't be earned. His love is for the weak, for the broken, for the desperate, for the lost, for the least, for the last. I wonder if that sounds like anybody you know. I see that person every time I look in the mirror. He doesn't love us because of what we can contribute or because we're lovely lovers to others already or because of some magical or beautiful quality within us. He loves us because of his beauty. He loves us because love is hardwired into the DNA of Jesus. 
and he expresses that most tangibly on the cross. Now, here's a thought that's worth soaking in for just a moment this morning. Do you know that on your absolute worst day, Jesus loves you? On your absolute best day, Jesus loves you. He loves you exactly the same on both of those days. And so we can say confidently this morning, sitting on your sofa or wherever it is you are today, there's nothing you can do to earn more love from Jesus. He loves you today unconditionally and he loves you unreservedly. And the cross tells us of that so clearly. You'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. And yet he gives it. That's the kind of savior that we have. It's this love, it's gospel love, Jesus-type love, which is both the motivation and the model for us loving others. It's how we're commanded to love one another. Now, it's not a coincidence that Jesus issued this one another command with all this pants stuff going on around him in this difficult moment. Judas, one of you is going to betray you. Peter, you, the leader, you're going to deny me not once, but three times. Everything is falling to pieces around Jesus, it would seem. The disciples, you can imagine, are now starting to become suspicious of one another. Well, if Judas has left and slammed the door, and we've just heard that Peter's going to deny Christ, and he's the leader, well, who else can we possibly trust? Who can I rely upon is a reasonable question to be asking. And it's into that tension that Jesus utters these words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And, you know, that's the way that we as the church should deal with every threat that comes our way from without, but also from within. We're to love and we're to love like Jesus loves. You know, I'm getting really old now and I'm nearly two decades into local church ministry. And one of the things that I learned very early on in my ministry is that ministry is messy because people can be messy. Do you know, Christians, yes, even fully sold out followers of Jesus can struggle with sin. And so for that reason, most of us can identify ourselves with the story of Peter. The Christian life is far from a walk in the park. In fact, it's a battle. It's often marked out by struggles, struggles without from others, but also struggles within as we wrestle with ourselves. And of course, this problem is nothing new. It's a centuries old problem. Listen to how Paul describes his ministry experience in those early days of the church being formed. For for when we came into Macedonia, he says, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. There were conflicts on the outside, but there were fears within. Conflicts on the outside, but fears within. Well, what's the antidote to that kind of a problem? It's love. It's loving like Christ loves. Now, you've probably noticed already that Jesus describes this command as a new commandment, a new commandment. But it's interesting, isn't it? This command is not really new at all in the sense that other things similar to it have been said in the past. If you think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's love. And yet Jesus said, this command is something different. It's something new. You see, the command was different that Jesus was giving. Jesus' new command is that you love one another as I have loved you. 
You see, it's how Jesus has loved us that makes this a new commandment. This command to love is not new at all, but the way Jesus frames it is utterly new. Jesus isn't calling us here to love one another as we love ourselves. In fact, he's calling us to love one another as he has loved us. It's quite different. And of course, Jesus loved us in a way that's unlike any other love that's ever been displayed in the universe. How did he love us? Well, he came down from heaven. He took on flesh. He took on sin. He took on wrath. He took on death. And then he satisfied God's wrath and he defeated sin and he defeated death for anyone who would turn to him and trust in him. That's a new kind of love. It's a kind of love that's never been displayed in the universe before. And it's the kind of love that we'll never see ever again. Jesus literally poured himself out in death, in love. But even more astonishing is that he willingly had the wrath of God poured out on himself to take our place. And he did it in love, even whilst, as Paul said, we were still enemies of God. Isn't it amazing that Jesus loves us with a completely sinless, selfless, sacrificial love? He didn't just give up a few things for us. He gave, it up, it, gave up everything and went through the worst possible suffering imaginable. So this is a new command. The world has never seen a love like that before, and it will never see it again. And this love changes everything for those of us who are followers of Christ. When a friend or a family member sins against you or does something wrong to you, you need to think to yourself, well, should I hold a grudge or should I forgive? We'll come to the love that Christ has for us and let that love be the decision-making mechanism for you. Or maybe when a friend or a neighbor is in need and you think to yourself, is that individual really worthy of my help? Well, we're to think of Christ's love for us. Or maybe when we're tempted to slander another person or take advantage of them or to seek revenge, we're to set our eyes upon Jesus and to follow his example and love like Jesus loved us. He's forgiven us so much. He's served us and he's loved us to the max. I guess the question that follows is this, is how could we not love one another in this kind of a way if that's the love that Christ has given to us? Peter goes on to speak beautifully in 1 Peter from personal experience, and he puts it this way. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, knew the liberating joy that floods the soul when sins are covered up by the love of Christ. Jesus' commandment is to love, and it's a new commandment. So it's new in the sense that Jesus was commanding us not to love in the way we love ourselves, but to love in the way that he's loved us as displayed on the cross. But this new commandment is also new in the sense that God has given us the resources to be able to love in this kind of way by the gifting of his Holy Spirit. No longer do we need to love God in our own strength in this way, but we're promised that the first fruit of the Spirit, the first um, empowering of the Spirit, if you like, is that God will give love to us as a fruit. Again, it's the first quality that's mentioned in a long list of nine. So this is a new command in that Christ has um, given to us this kind of love that's been demonstrated on the cross that's never been seen before, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to keep this command from the heart. 
Well, Jesus qualifies all that he says by going on to say that the end result of this kind of love, when it's displayed, is that despite all of our messiness, the church can be known for its love. Individual believers can be known for their love. I love the story of Jesus when he he weeps for Lazarus. There are a bunch of people looking on, some Jews looking on, and they say this of him in John chapter 11, verse 36. See how he loved him. Jesus saw Lazarus and loved. Others looking on saw that love and they pointed out. Wouldn't it be amazing if as a community, if as a church, those around us saw the love that we have for each other and for our community and said of us too, see how they love other people. Jesus says that the non-believing world ought to be looking on at us and saying, see how those Christians love one another. Look how they forgive. Look how they care. Look how they provide for those people who are in need. By this, by Christ-like love of one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We're loved by Jesus to love like Jesus to display Jesus. You see, at the end of the day, it's not about great music or dynamic preaching, engaging youth and children's ministry, fancy buildings, faithful attendance at prayer gatherings, or epic evangelistic programs that will draw people into the family of God, although those things have their place. But it's in knowing that we're so loved by Jesus that that love compels us to love others like Jesus has loved us. And they'll see that love and they'll be drawn into the community, the family of God. Love is the most effective evangelistic tool we have. If our lives are not marked by sacrificial Christ-like love, then the world will not see Jesus in us. But if we've truly experienced this amazing gospel that we've celebrated the fact that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins as he demonstrated love in the most tangible way he knew how. If we seek to, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, love others like Jesus has loved us, then the world will know that we are his disciples and they'll be drawn into a relationship with Christ too. We're loved by Jesus to love like Jesus so that the world will know that we are his disciples. Jesus sets the bar high, doesn't he? Love one another like I've loved you. I don't know about you, but I feel like I need God's help in order to even get close to living that out as a reality in my life. So why don't we be still for a moment? Let's pray together as we ask God to give us that help, as he promises he will, by the empowerment of his spirit, as he gives us that first fruit of love in even greater measure. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and we celebrate this morning your love for us. Thank you that when we look to the cross of Christ, we cannot deny that you're a God who loves us. We cannot deny that you're a God who loves us, and we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that he has made a way in love for us. And Jesus, we say to you this morning that we hear your command. We hear your command to love others, that the gospel, the good news of Christ compels us to love others. 
not as we love ourselves, not as others have loved us, but as Christ has loved us. And Lord, we confess this morning that so often, too often, we fall way short. And we thank you again for your grace. Thank you for the story of Peter that reminds us that when we keep coming back to you and we turn around, you run to us and you embrace us in love. And Lord, we want to pray for ourselves too as we continue this journey, wrestling with these one another statements that, Lord, in these four or five weeks ahead of us, as we prepare ourselves, whatever the next stage of lockdown is or the coming out of lockdown, that you'll equip us even more for the missionary mission and the ministry that you've called us to, to display the love of Christ, that the world would know that we are your disciples because of the way we love like you've loved. Holy Spirit, come. Wherever we are now, we pray, would you fill us full to overflowing with this first fruit of your spirit with love. We receive what you just delight to pour out into our lives. Lord, this morning we choose to build our life upon your love because it's a firm foundation. Lord, we choose today to put our trust in you alone because we know that when we stand on you as our foundation, we will not be shaken. There is none like you. There's none beside you. Open our eyes, we pray, in wonder. Lord, show us who you are and fill us with your heart and lead us in your love. To those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.